Welcome to the Earspoon. This is Fish, and we have started a special line of interviewing called A Call to Action. We hope to distribute as much quality information to you about an ever-changing landscape, but please keep in mind, as it does change often, so might this information. It's all dated, and by all means, before acting on any of it, verify it. And as all Earspoon podcasts, it is presented to you by Mocha Joe's. If you live locally, they are offering curbside pickup, and they're still doing shipping through their website, mochajoes.com. Welcome to A Call to Action, a series presented by Great Eastern Radio and Brattleboro Community Television. We're covering many different topics from recovery initiatives to safeguarding our Zoom meetings. Today, we're talking with Congressman Peter Welsh. I'm Peter Fish Case. Congressman, welcome to A Call to Action. Thank you. All right. So you are uh, with me in the great state of Vermont, where we have been uh, physically distancing since 1791, so it's easy for us. Um, Let's get right into it, and let's talk about the House voting on the standalone PPP bill, and that it's going to offer more flexibility for loans. What what does that look like? I mean, I know there's a lot to unpack there, but if you could give us some insight, that would be great. Well, number one, we passed it uh, in the House uh, just today, so that's the good news. Number two, the PPP program, which is, stands for Payroll Protection Plan, was intended to help our small businesses make it through this period when they had to literally turn the lights off uh, because of social distancing. But even though the congressional intent was to give a lot of flexibility to our small businesses to use it for payroll and to use it for expenses, when the Small Business Administration uh, did the regulations, they made it too restrictive, so it didn't work. The businesses had to use it by June 30th, even though. They, many of them haven't even reopened. They had to use it to pay payroll when they didn't have any work for their employees to do. So we modified it and bipartisan. And now our businesses can have until December 31st to use it. So it gives a lot more flexibility. And number two, the 75-25 ratio has changed so that 60% goes to payroll and 40% to their ongoing expenses. Uh, So this is gonna provide significant opportunity for those businesses that applied for and received that help to be actually able to use it uh, in a way where that loan will be turned into a grant. So that's good news. And we did this freestanding because that's the best way to make sure that gets done and it doesn't get caught uh, in the undertow of negotiations about other issues that are very, very important, but still much in dispute. Right. And I, you know, I, I think that's just a, I think that's how all bills should be passed. Now, maybe that's just me, a simple guy walking the streets um, without the, the complete interactions of how everything goes on uh, inside the beltway. But um, when I heard that this was just being passed on its own, I thought, you know, I, I really applauded that effort. Now, you had made um, some reference just now to it being extended until the end of the year, through the end right. of the year. Does, does that also, um, does that for the whole CARES Act, or is that just for this particular piece? No, it's for the payroll protection plan. The CARES Act doesn't need extension, by and large. Okay. The, 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 the component of the CARES Act, which was the payroll protection plan, was way too restrictive according to the guidelines of the Small Business Administration. So I talked to so many businesses here in Vermont where they said, Peter, you know, this is a good idea and concept, 
but with this June 15th or June 30th deadline <clears throat> and having to make all these payroll payments when we don't even have workers uh, with an opportunity to do work when our business is closed uh, is not working and message received. Uh, so I was a co-sponsor of the legislation to adjust it and a strong advocate that we do it in a freestanding bill so that we could get the benefit of the fact that there is bipartisan support in the House and in the Senate uh, to make the PPP work. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you know, and I know for, for most business, small, small owners, uh, small, small business owners, excuse me, um, will often have a hard time navigating that kind of paperwork and, and that level of, of uh, trying to, you know, connect to that sort of a service. So that's really good that you have uh, simplified that. Let's jump to the, to the next thing, and I, um, which I want to talk about, and it's, that's Dr. Fauci. Um, I was, I was, Pleased to see him resurface because I, we, as again, just sort of sitting back and watching the TV and getting our news or listening to the radio, getting our news. Uh, I feel like with Dr. Fauci, we're playing uh, some sort of a political version of Where's Waldo with him. Um, what What is going on there? I mean, are, are there, there are measures being taken from what I understand to sort of protect him. Can you talk That's right. That? I'm, I'm, I'm sponsoring legislation uh, along with Senator Markey in the Senate uh, to prohibit the president from firing Dr. Fauci and others in the scientific community unless he has cause. It can't be just because he feels like it or he doesn't like the science that Dr. Fauci is presenting or he doesn't like the recommendations that Dr. Fauci and our public health folks are uh, presenting. President Trump has shown is that as far as he's concerned, he doesn't need a reason to fire anybody for anything. And that's really dangerous because he's firing people not because they're not doing their job. He's firing people because they are doing their job. Fauci is one of the most respected people, if not the most respected in the country right now. And it is because he's got a career of serving Republicans and Democrats on behalf of the public health of the people of our country. People trust them. And President Trump doesn't like it when Dr. Fauci is talking about the steps we have to take in order to protect our health and safety. So firing Fauci just because the president doesn't like the prescription when it's well-founded from a well-respected person puts our health at risk. Our bill is going to say, no, you don't have discretion to just do it because you feel like it. Just because you don't like the advice, uh, you have to have cause. In other words, Fauci has to do something uh, that's, quote, wrong. Right. I've been saying when people have uh, asked me, like, uh, I, I would hope that at some point in time we could return back to a, a nation that rules with law and science and not narrative. Um, you know, that's critical. I mean, that's what's in balance in this election. You know, we're not going to get to where we need to be by making it up as we go along <clears throat> or saying that somebody's above the law. And of course, the, you know, the president has literally said that. His view of being president is that he's entitled to do what he wants because he's president. No president has ever asserted that. You know, that's a direct violation of what we learn in our grammar school civics class, and that is that our government is based on law, 
and it's based on the separation of powers. We don't concentrate all power in one branch, the executive branch. Right. Well, yeah, I think that that's really good. And then maybe we could work on a law about teaching civics in school again. That would be, I think, critical. I remember my civics class, they were among my favorites. There have been many messages coming down uh, from a federal level to a state level and all the executive branches uh, within. Uh, will we ever get some kind of a clear and concise message about opening up or are we again uh, or, or maybe maybe you're doing that by sponsoring a bill that will um, prohibit uh, our president from firing Fauci. Uh, that could be a step in the right direction for sure. But is, is there a, what are we looking towards as far as getting the country opened up again? Well, <clears throat> number one, people like Dr. Fauci on the federal level should be the ones who are front and center, not the president with those kind of wacky uh, extended press conferences he was having. And the opening up decisions should be based on the data and on the science. And the, the, everybody wants to open up as soon as we can safely. And everybody wants to open up as soon as we can to get our economy going. But everyone understands that if we do it too quickly, we uh, do it inappropriately, we could both hurt the health care, the health of citizens and set the economy back. So what you've got now is a federal government where it should be giving out guidelines. And in fact, the CDC has. And then you should have the president encouraging the states to follow those guidelines. And that has a lot to do with the reduction of the number of uh, cases and the reduction of the number of deaths. So that when states open, it's according to recommendations in the CDC. Trump is wrecking that. I mean, he is all over the place on this and basically just wants to open it up and he's celebrating folks who are protesting <clears throat> the social distancing. So what it's meant is we're really dependent on our governors. And of course, Governor Scott has been extremely careful, uh, data-driven and public health recommendation-driven. But then you have other governors like in Georgia where, let, you know, let the party roll and we're seeing a spike in cases there. So there should be a partnership with the federal government and the state, uh, but the president is failing on that. Right. Well, you know, I mean, again, it, it all boils down to this profit over people mentality. And, you know, and, and I keep saying if people are dying, nobody's buying. So, yeah, that's right. You know, I think the, the best way to restore our economy is have live people in it, you know. Well, Peter, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I had an opportunity to talk with Senator Shaheen. Um, the oh maybe about a week or so ago, and, and we talked about what we talked about today, and and there was you know so, some wranglings about the extension of of, of the PPP program. Um, when I asked her this question, I'll ask it of you as well. Um, I also had a chance to talk to an epidemiologist from Dartmouth uh, Hitchcock Medical Center, and asked her like, what was the timeline for this whole thing? And she said months to years. So it begs the question. I mean, if we go into the years. I mean, is there a bottomless pit of money that we can continue to draw from to keep, keep America afloat? Well, no, obviously there's limits. I mean, right now, uh, the public health requirement, and it is really important that we social distance, that's a step to slow the spread, requires us and the collateral consequence of that as we turn the lights off on the economy. Hence, the massive federal infusion of money but all of us know that that obviously is not something we can do indefinitely. 
but that doesn't mean we know when it will end. All right. of this looks like a date certain. And it's so hard for our businesses where they're trying to plan and cope and uh, meet the needs of their uh, survival and the employees. You know, in Vermont, uh, it's just so close, the relationships between so many of our uh, business enterprises and their workers. So we don't know exactly when, but we do know how. And the how is adhering as best we can to these uh, uh, public health advisories and then slowly open up as the data allows. And I think we're doing that here in Vermont, but our prospects in Vermont and our prospects everywhere in the country are enhanced if all of us are accepting our share of the responsibility to be careful, yeah. uh, to wash our hands, uh, to wear a mask. You know, the more all of us do that, the sooner that day when we're feeling secure and could go back to a movie theater, uh, the sooner that day will come. I think uh, it boils down to um, what I've been kind of beating this drum a lot, consumer confidence. And if, yeah. if the consumer feels safe, the consumer right. will consume. Um, That's right. So I'm, 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 I'm hoping that uh, we can drive the point home about what wearing a mask means to everybody. There's always gonna be that, the, the, what I call the five percenters out there that just will not listen. So we'll just need to stay away from them. Um, all right, the Vermont Economic Injury Disaster Loan Grant Program, uh, $80 million of that has been, um, has been extended to Vermont. Um, has, has this, is this something like this, is this just unique to Vermont or has this been rolled out from state to state based on population, I would imagine? No, it's, it's rolled out state to state. And that program has been good for some businesses. If they had 10 employees, they could get that $10,000. Yeah. It's been disappointing to others because originally the way we passed that, if you were an independent contractor, let's say you and one of your uh, colleagues uh, had a small construction operation going, you, the plan we had was to get, ten, you'd get $10,000. Again, the, the Small Business Administration made guidance so that it would only be $1,000 per employee. So for some businesses where they could get that 10000 it really helped. For others, uh, it helped a bit, but not nearly as much as we had hoped. Now, one good thing for those independent contractors who, whose businesses dried up, they are eligible for that $600 a week unemployment from the federal government. Uh, normally, an independent contractor or somebody in the gig economy would not qualify for unemployment, even though they're busted, you know, and don't have any work. So that extension of unemployment to include folks who are self-employed and in the gig economy has been extremely important uh, for people in that situation. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's tremendous. Every little piece, again, I, I keep saying that, you know, we're all trying to fix the tire while the car is moving. Uh, so it's <laughs> nicely put. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know that people can often get frustrated. And, um, and I think I said this to you the last time we talked that nobody pandemics well. So uh, just to be patient with it as we all try to figure it out. There's been this new emerging thing, and, I, and I'm sure this is on your radar. Uh, stories about the, uh, and, I, and I call it the add house to cart by now where people are literally purchasing houses sight unseen in, in the state of Vermont. And I think that may see a little bit of a spike 
in, in population, which I know is something that has concerned, um, you know, at least lo local legislators and lawmakers and, and people who are running towns to try to get the population back up in Vermont. So that may, a good, may be a good thing on one end, a bad thing on the other. I think what's gonna keep, keep them here is infrastructure. And I know you've been a real true champion on the broadband front. So um, how, how, does, how does your broadband plan work in say the Southern state? Cause I know, you know, with, from basically Rutland down, there's not as much as, you know, North of Rutland. Well, first of all, I think you're right. You know, if we have people moving in <clears throat> and they're safe, uh, and uh, share our concern about social distancing and about wearing a mask and washing hands, <clears throat> then it's good, it potentially could be good. We need more population and we're losing population. So potential upside there. But secondly, you're right about the broadband. I mean, we have seen with COVID uh, that we need broadband for kids, not just to do their homework, but to do their schoolwork. They're doing it at home. We need broadband for medicine. You know, telemedicine has exploded. It's really been a godsend for providers and for patients. And of course, all of us have to work from home, so we need it for employment. And it's created a lot more support, bipartisan support in Congress, to get the resources back to the states and districts. I think one of the challenges, there's two challenges. One is the money to do the build out. And the other is the model, because the big companies are just not interested it's not economically advantageous to them to particularly care about getting broadband in the Marlboro, Vermont, let's say. Right. Uh, they prefer Boston or the suburbs. Sure. So we've got to have what we had in the 30s when we were doing rural electrification, and that's local co-ops or local towns. Local providers where the bottom line for them is good service for the people in their community. So I want there to be flexibility in how we organize the build out and go back to the concept of the rural electrification administration where you trust people in local communities whose interest is to get the best service possible uh, to be able to get together to do that okay <clears throat> and yeah so I, that's I, and i know that you've been uh, you've really been on this and and trying to you know fight the good fight so i thank you for that so here's here's the here's the part of the program where uh, I, I ask you to look into your crystal ball and uh, give us a date and a time. No, just kidding. Um, um, look at the overall prognosis and what it looks like as we begin to hopefully slowly pull out of the uh, out of this crisis. I mean, is there is there a prognosis that you have? I think it's going to be long, but I think it's going to be steady. You know, I've been talking to lots of folks who run small businesses, uh, restaurants, even our nonprofit sector, folks from the Latches Theater yesterday. And, and for them, it's pretty, pretty tough because the consumer confidence point you made, people aren't going to go back to these venues <clears throat> or these restaurants until they feel really safe. Right. Okay. Um, but I think a couple of things. One, we're getting money back from the federal government to the state, like a billion point two million dollars, one point two billion dollars in the CARES Act. That's a tool that the state can use to try to come up with business plans or assistance to some of these sectors like tourism, like recreation, like um, restaurants to try to help them hang on. And then secondly, 
uh, our businesses are doing their very best to adjust to the grim times in ways like takeout and whatever it is they can do. And what I'm seeing from our entrepreneurs is a, a very strong desire to find a way we need to give them, in some cases, financial assistance, number one, and number two, certainty, something they can plan on. And that's where that federal-state relationship is really important. We've got to get the money back to Montpelier. But then I think Montpelier is in a much better position to make concrete, practical plans to help what we need in Vermont better than we are in D.C. Okay. Uh, the, um, no, that is certainly, certainly fair enough. Um, had another question for you, which just eluded me. So uh, hopefully we can, uh, I can, it, it was uh, off something you said. Oh yes, I remember now. Of course, it's, it's my own, it's my own industry. So it's why it left my head. Um, media, newspapers, television, radio, um, you know, I mean, obviously big turn down in revenue there. I mean, are there is, is there any heightened concern about, you know, protecting our information sources that aren't labeled? Well, you know, first of all, two things. One, there's been a huge impact from COVID because uh, advertising has collapsed. Mm -hmm. So it just makes what for you is a very, very tough model um, virtually impossible. Um, and secondly, we're, it, it, there are real challenges to traditional local journalism that were well underway before COVID. Yep. <clears throat> and that essentially is the uh, advertising migrating to Facebook and to Google. Um, and what's we need a new model because Facebook and Google, by and large, they take local news uh, or from news from traditional organizations, put it in their feeds, and they then you're read there, and uh, you don't get the benefit of advertising. So this question about how we support local. Uh, uh, news and mo local media uh, is a very vexing one, but important for us to to figure out. You know, to some extent, there's discussions about whether these big uh, uh, platforms like Google and Facebook should pay when they put something that comes out of uh, uh, a local newspaper. And I'm, I'm very open to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, ironically, at a time when the finances are the toughest for local broadcast local media, the interest in what you serve and provide to people has never been greater. Right. You know, there's a desperate thirst to find out what's going on in Brattleboro or in White River Junction. You know, we got the Valley News up here and small radio stations. So uh, you're right on that. And I'm very open to being part of the effort to get a new uh, structure, a new model that gives uh, local broadcast and local media a fighting chance. Okay. <laughs> Congressman, is there anything um, left? Because I know you're busy. I know you've got some uh, some more bills to sign and, and pieces of legislation to put through. So, uh, is there anything um, there that we may have missed that you you want to make sure that we put a finer point on? Well, just you know, hang in. This is such a tough time, and people are nervous about somebody getting the disease or they get the disease, but really concerned about whether somebody they love gets it. So, it's really important for us to do all our part, wash our hands, wear the mask. Uh, but it's also enormous amount of financial anxiety for families. You know, we've got the highest unemployment rate in our history, I think, right now. Yeah. And it happens so suddenly. And uh, we've got businesses, like you say, that are, you know, hanging on by their fingernails. And will they get through it? And it's really important that we do. 
my job, I, as I see it, is to get the resources back to Vermont. Um, but I do want Vermont to have a lot of flexibility so we can get the Vermonters can get the benefit and the most bang for the buck and the benefit of local judgment rather than Washington imposed judgment. Okay. Congressman Welch, thank you so much for jumping on a call to action today. Peter, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to a special segment of the Earspoon called A Call to Action as we navigate the waters of a worldwide pandemic. More information will follow. And as always, be safe and be six feet apart.